This is the United We Stand podcast around Manchester United's Champions League game against FC Copenhagen in the days following the passing of Sir Bobby Charlton. This podcast is brought to you by Improve Easy. Improve Easy are helping Manchester United fans across the country save money on their energy bills by installing home improvement measures such as solar panels for free, boilers for free and even free insulation. All you need to do is text the word EASY to 60777 to see if you qualify for government funds to have free installation. That's E-A-S-Y to 60777. Text it, give it a go. You might be missing out if you don't. I'm with um, Brian Kidd, um, teammate of Bobby's. What are your memories of, of Bobby Brian? You played with him, you two destroyed Benfica in extra time in 68 obviously I was a, a wee bit younger than the lads and that but with, with Bobby like I spoke um, so many times both um, technically he was out of this was his physicality was unbelievable his pace his speed his strength and his, the technical ability, his range of passing, long shot, dribbling, everything you could name. He, he had all the ingredients, and it, I'm, I'm not just just saying that. Bobby had all the ingredients, of, uh, and that was a, a great... But the, the other side I like, it was demanding. When he was a young boy, it was demand the demands he put on you, you know, and he was helping you to try to make you a player. And then you spin the coin, and it was the encouragement and support he gave you. And he epitomised for me what a Manchester United player is and his legacy. You looked up to him as a young lad in the dressing room. Was he the one whose standard you tried to emulate? Bobby was putting in there what it would take to be, to be hopefully become a Manchester United player. He was the example for me. Everything that a Manchester United player stood for was growing up as a young kid. So that was the biggest thing for me. Uh, you, I mean, you'd had some really big characters in that dressing room as well, and world-class players, you know. Uh, but it, but it was it was the example. He was a gentleman. I know it's been said, but he was a gentleman. He was a lovely, lovely, lovely person, you know. And as I say, his, his, the humility, his modesty, his empathy to people, which we've said, whether it's you know, the ordinary people in the street, celebrities, royalty, he was he was the same. Same level all the time. You miss him? Without a doubt. You know, when you'd interviewed me weekend, when you, when you told me on the, you know, you, you heard me on the phone, you know. You're uh, crying, Brian. Yeah. So I think that says everything, like, really sad, you know, when you phone me and let me know. It's heartbreaking. What a life, what a career. What a person. With Alex Stepney, legendary goalkeeper for Manchester United. What's Bobby's legacy? Well, it's quite simple, really, isn't it? I mean, it's a gentleman, top English gentleman in football. Simple as that. I mean, his, his record stands out, you know, incredibly. I mean, we can go on about different different players through the eras and things, but, you know, in our day, the pitches we played on, every, the ball we played with, Everything, everything, you know, that happened back then. But he carried it on. He saw his vision, basically, you know, 
what Old Trafford is today. That was his vision, and it, he'd done that in his lifetime. And but the way he played was just incredible for a club and country. What type of person was he? <laughs> Gentleman, very modest, shy, humble. Uh, loved this, loved the game, loved winning, loved scoring, and helped us players in the you know in the game when we we're playing egging us on his work rate made us play to win games simple as that and when you played for England mm. you played the one time mm. what did he say to you I couldn't believe it because I mean I didn't think I'd ever get, get I was in the, I was been in the squad but like to a week before the European Cup final for Alf Ramsey to to pick me and Bobby obviously was playing and just came up to me in, in training and said, you know, once the team was announced, brilliant, you deserve it. Made me. And playing at Wembley as well and then a week later, what a moment. Two games in a week at Wembley. Playing a game for England. But, you know, singing the national anthem and, and then playing in the European Cup final and winning it for Manchester United. Can't be a better week in anybody's life, could it? As a professional footballer. You'll miss him. I loved him. Can't say no more than that. John Aston, <coughs> man of the match in the 68 European Cup final and someone you roomed with, Sir Bobby. Yeah, I used to uh, have that privilege. As, uh, I think um, it was probably, I don't know if it was a Matt Busby idea, but he used to put like a season play with young lads coming through and uh, I was very fortunate to, uh, to have Bobby as my roommate and companion for all the way around the world for uh, for United. Were you mates with him? Was it daunting for you? Uh, he, he was. He, Bobby was um, obviously the, there was a bit of an age gap, so we weren't mates in the fact that we went out together or whatever like that. But we were we were teammates and uh, club mates, and he wasn't daunting because he was very relaxed. Bobby, he was very. He, he was very amenable and he, he certainly could put you at your ease uh, no matter who you were. His brother Jack said that the Munich air disaster changed him. You spent a lot of hours with him in hotels. Mm. Did yeah. you ever talk about Munich? Uh, only, I, I was very fortunate that um, he, he did mention it a couple of times. There was once when we was in a hotel down south and he seemed to be just staring into space and I fact so much that I said are you okay Bob um, and he just turned around to me and said he said Johnny there's never a day I don't think about Munich so uh, and it was sort of it was like knocking me backwards almost uh, that, for him to say anything like that and uh, I just said oh well I'll, I'll leave you Bob and, and went out of the room it's very um, he was a very personal, emotional man. He, he, he did have emotions, but he did them personally and he didn't display them in public. And, uh, and it was all part of his persona, I think. Yeah. What did he say to you when you made your Manchester United debut? Um, well, I was only 17 and we were playing Leicester at home. We were going for the league. It was a game we did win and we had to win. Um, and, and of all the players, like he, he, put his, um, he said, come on, John. He put his arm around me he said you'll be okay and that's uh, you know he just said it as though we were both playing for school <laughs> and were you okay? I was okay yeah I went out uh, I went out and we won the game and and it was obviously um, the biggest thrill of my life at that time um, but he, he sort of tended to look after you if, uh, 
if he was a young lad. Finally, what, what, how would you describe his shot? His shot was uh, lethal, really. Um, I think you, you've only got to look at, it, uh, at the television or, or newsreels and anybody can see how hard he hit the ball, but it wasn't just the speed he hit it with, it was the conviction, he, it was the confidence. And the greatest uh, com- compliment you can pay to his confidence that he didn't mind if he hit a ball and it went 15 yards over the goal or he was 15 yards wide. Whereas many a player would then sort of look, look around to pass the ball next time. If it was ready for a shot, he, he'd shoot and shoot and shoot until it went, it went in the back of the net. You'll miss him. Every, everybody who knew him will miss him. I think the whole football world will miss Bobby. He's not just a great footballer, but a great person. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's one of life's better things to look at. And with Pat Crarend, who obviously played a lot with Sir Bobby, what will his legacy be, Pat? The great player he was and the gentleman he was. I think that's anybody that's ever met him would realise what a lovely person he was and what a great footballer and so humble and so humble you wouldn't believe. How would you describe his personality apart from being humble? Shy. Shy? Yeah. But you once told me with his close mates he was a different person. Yes, yeah. He was very proud of all his styles. And Morris Setters. Morris Setters. He, 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 he'd be a laugh all the time. But maybe I think, maybe the crash changed him to a great degree. I got that impression that the crash affected him more than it affected most people in actual fact. Because I, I believe he was the life and soul of the party before that accident happened. And after that, he, he was quiet as anything. How would you describe the way he played football? He's a magician. He was a magician. We've said that many times, and we've spoken about it many times. What was his best side? His right and his left. Nobody knew. Not so sure Bobby knew, but nobody knew. He must have been. I, I played against him a couple of times for Scotland. He was dreadful to play against because he, he was so quick, so quick from a standing start. Just a decent person. When you played Scotland against England, obviously with the rivalry there, was there yes. a bit of needle between you two? No, no, no. There was respect. No, there was respect. You never kicked him. I tried to. I couldn't catch him. But... <laughs> no, it's... Dennis was worse than me when it came to England. Was he? Oh, Dennis Law. Dennis was dreadful. For some strange reason, a great well, hatred. Being Scottish. I know, but you wanted to beat. England more than anybody else, but I suppose come from Aberdeen, they've Glasgow's a bit more, I'm not sure, a bit more, just for a bit of Well, you think you're Irish, more. not British or Scottish. Well, I, was bo- I was born in Glasgow, but my family were all Irish, and the area I lived in was brought up in the Gorbals in Glasgow was all Irish. A little bird told me that when you moved to Manchester United from Celtic in January 1963, yeah. The first person to take you and your partner out was Bobby oh, Charlton. Oh, he, he took you to, um, to a pub, in, a pub in Flixton. Can you um, pick up the story here? He was a great lad, Bobby. Bobby wanted to make me feel at home or whatever you do. It was just, can you imagine, I was from Glasgow, and Bobby Charlton was taking me out, him and his missus. Can you imagine that? Well, I was told that 
he thought you were a heavy drinker, <laughs> a, a bruiser from Glasgow. I was a bruiser, certainly. And you ordered, you ordered sherry, neat sherry. I, the, the first drink I ever had in actual fact was sherry. I was never a beer drink. I've never been a beer drinker anyway, but sherry sounds dreadful, that doesn't it? And he was on edge all night <laughs> because he thought that you were a scrapper and a snapper. Yes, I, I believe so. And we're going to have a go at the waiter. I, I, I get told that later in actual fact, but I've got respect for people, particularly waiters as well anyway. But no, I'm not like that, Andy. You, you've never seen me in trouble, have I've you? I've never seen you in trouble, but Bobby Charlton went into training the following Monday and the lad said, how did it go with the new signing, Paddy Crerand? You know, did he smack anyone? <laughs> and Bobby was like, really relieved? No, <laughs> it was okay. We, you know, we had a nice meal. There were no fights. And uh, actually, he's not a bad fella. Let's hope he's a decent footballer. <laughs> no, he was. He was scared stiff for before. But it was very nice when he asked me out, actually. What about on the field? Because you often operated in areas which, which crossed over. What was the tactic? Oh, just just give him the ball? I get, I get sent off six times. I know you got sent off. But Bob, some of the other lads said that Bobby could look after himself physically as well. He could, could off the pitch, yes. But he wasn't like that on the He was a perfect gentleman on the pitch. And you? Oh, but it's hooligan. Hooligan from the Gorbos. You're missing Pat. Ah, oh, he was a great person. I, I saw him every home match at Old Trafford, obviously. Him being on the, the board of directors at Manchester United. Just such a... I, I think if you ask anybody, the first thing they'll say about him is what a nice man he was. Lovely person. Ah, sad. Pick a moment, you and Bobby on a pitch together. 63 Cup oh, final, you were the best. I had to the, the European Cup final, yeah, there was the so one. much. The effect it had on Bobby, obviously, because of the Munich Air disaster. They, they would have probably won the European Cup that team prior to years, whether in 68. The Babes. Oh, they were they, good I, enough to be champions of oh, Europe. Oh, so I saw them play. I saw Duncan Edwards play a couple of times for the England under 23 team. What a player he was. I don't think there's ever been a better Manchester United player than Duncan Edwards. Wow, that's some accolade. It is some accolade, and that's how good he was. I'm outside Old Trafford now. Um, it's a couple of hours to kick off against Copenhagen. Just bumped into Webby, a lad who uh, isn't 21 anymore. <laughs> um, what do you remember about Bobby Charlton? My first recollections of Bobby, if you know the area, near the Fox and Elms, he lived down Sidmouth Avenue. In Flixton? In Flixton. It was a clubhouse. Sammy Matt bought the one down the road eventually. And we, we was in we was in I was in awe of him at eleven and I was still in awe of him at seventy-one. Fantastic. Did you ever see him round Flickstone? Yeah, we used to wait for him. It's like a former stalking. And then not just me. Outside his house? No, outside you know the circle. Yeah. And because he used to just used to walk up, go in the shops. Did he? Like as may say any normal person. So, so you'd see him at your local shops? The local shops, he just walked in as if he was like, uh, I know he's a star and everything, just walked in as if he was nothing. And he was absolutely brilliant. And he always gave you the time of day. Did he? Always. Did he? Well, he, was, uh, he was absolutely brilliant And I'll never forget it. And this says it all, doesn't it? The, the memorabilia. I think they do it so they hide the smokers. Yeah, he's absolutely brilliant. It makes you proud to be a red fan. How, how good was he? Well, the best. You know, like you got George, Miro, Eric, but I think Bobby, Bobby took the biscuit. Both, really? both feet, left and right. 
Yeah, superb. I mean, you're a bit of a character around the area yourself, weren't you? I mean, can I just put a few stories I've heard about you to you? Certainly. You can, you can uh, confirm or deny. Go on. You once went to a paper shop yourself on, on a Saturday morning. That's very true. Yeah. Some of your mates were leaving on a stag do to Blackpool. Correct. Invited you on it. Yeah. You went. Yeah. You'd only popped out to get a paper for your wife. Correct. You came back how many days later? The following day. I stayed, we stayed overnight the following day. But during... And here's a funny one for you. During the comedian... There's a comedian on where we stopped. And he says, Which one's Webby? I said, Can't mean me. Webby, can you identify yourself? So I went like that. He says, Your Julie's been on the phone. She wants to know where papers are. So, I mean, is your wife just long-suffering? I've been married 49 years right. now. Right, so she a, just knows what you like? Yeah, she knows it. She knows it'd be all right, which I was. Do you, I mean, you were renowned for doing Rod Stewart impressions. Still do it. I still do it. <laughs> Drinking a pint of Perno. Yeah, it was a lot, che- lot cheaper in them days. <laughs> what a legacy to follow you around. Uh, that's, been, that's been putting loads of books out, hasn't it? Yeah, some great laughs. You hitched to Northampton with Manchester United. We did, when Georgie got six. You were there. Kimber, wow. Yeah. We, uh, we hitched it. We got as far as Litchfield. And it was that cold. It was like an island with a haunted house. And we went in it. My mate, i tell you how cold it was. My mate got a poker, threw it up at the window and it bounced back. And when we got there, we was in the paper. It said, among early arrivals at the Abington Park Hotel or somewhere, with four Manchester United fans who had hitched tight. And they said to us, uh, is there many coming? And in them days, he went, is there many skinheads coming? I went, thousands, thousands. <laughs> and he just went, all right, OK. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Prediction for tonight? I'm going for 2-0. To Copenhagen? No, I thought you were a good reporter. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. I know there's a lot of Bobby Charlton in this podcast and just spoke to Angus Loughran, who, who knew him, Stato, of course. And... He knew Bobby well and <laughs> told me some daft stories, holding an umbrella above his head for an hour at a funeral, which neither of them were allowed into. How can you not let Bobby Charlton into a funeral? And with Chris Bedding, Chris does some writing for United We Stand. He was also a banker, so he knows his stuff when he's talking about possible takeovers, acquisitions, share issues, etc., etc. How are you reading this Jim Ratcliffe, Ineos, buying... 25 percent United we stand I'm sounding uncertain because the deal's yeah. not been done and I don't even think no. they know what the deal's going to no, be they, they don't I think you're right and these things do take a long while to to work out for me the biggest issue is clearly where does the cash go um, if the glazers are, are allowed to trouser some of that Jim Ratcliffe's complicit Ladies in that United, we stand and I think he's going to get a reaction from fans against it <clears throat> if I if I were with Ratcliffe, I'd be saying all the cash should go towards Old Trafford, training ground and so on, on infrastructure. And therefore it's new shares that are issued. Ratcliffe doesn't buy anyone's shares, he just dilutes the Glazers and the New York Stock Exchange shareholders in their holding of it. And crucially, he agrees what happens next. If he just buys 25% as a standalone, other people, American private equity people, are prepared to do that. And they do that because they can make money out of it. He's not in it just to make money out of it, we hope. He's in it, um, as we are, as supporters for the longer term. 
So he needs to be agreeing options up front that he can buy more shares at certain prices at certain times if certain things happen. But that's where it, you're right, it does get complex. And it's going to take a long time to hammer that out. So when you started explaining that, I was thinking, well, what's in it for the Glazers? But what's in it is answering the big problem of Old Trafford. The club needs capital. So that's where it comes from. And they refuse to dip into their own cash, of which now, through United, they have plenty of cash. They're sat on loads of cash. But they're not prepared to put anything in. We saw that with the financial fair play when United didn't comply with financial fair play. The option was for them to dip into their cash and put money in, which would have made us comply. But they chose not to do it. What did you make of Qatar pulling out? I think um, a big part of that is to do with the... Geopolitical situation. Israel, Arab situation. Can, putting this bluntly, can Jews sell to Arabs at the moment? I don't think they can in the current environment. Um, And I don't think it's a coincidence that once all that kicks off in Israel... They turn to Jim Ratcliffe and say, Jim, we're prepared to do a deal. Allegedly, we don't know that yet, do we? But I think that's a lot to do with it. Is Qatar pulling away a bad thing when we look at the concerns about sports washing, for example? I've written in in your mag before that I don't want um, United personally. It's all about mags. Our mag. (laughs) Uh, You're the main man, you're the editor. I don't want our football club to be a toy of any owner. Tom and I were talking earlier about um, would we have wanted Abramovich to come in when he did? He clearly wanted to buy United. I wouldn't have wanted to be his toy either. Um, I don't actually mind us being Jim Ratcliffe's toy because I think he's in it for similar reasons to us. I hope he is. I've clearly never met the man, never spoken to him, but I hope he's got the same emotions that we have, you know? Was he an United fan? Yeah. I don't think it's perfect this at all. He thinks it's the only deal that he can do and that is a pathway to full ownership of Manchester United. Age 70, you would assume that he's not getting any younger and he doesn't want his legacy to be the man who ran Manchester United into the ground, rather Mm. the man who helped turn Manchester United's fortunes around. And he's clearly wealthy. He's the second wealthiest individual in the United Kingdom. He's done exceptionally well in business. I've got concerns all over the shop. I've had union members coming to me saying the way that he treated people um, is is not right. There's there's greenwashing. I don't think there will ever be a perfect owner. No. Um, well, there never has been, going back to the Edwards family no. and whatever. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm not sure Ratcliffe is sat on enough cash. Yes, he's, he's wealthy, incredibly wealthy, as you say, but a lot of that is through his, I think it's 60% of Ineos that he owns. Um, and that is hugely valuable. But he can't use those shares to pay the Glazers or to buy or put more cash into United. So I'm not sure he's got the readies, which is why he's now got the Glazers in a corner because they haven't got any cash they don't want to put their own cash in to develop our ground develop our training ground so he holds a few cards at the moment particularly with the Qataris walking away he's now got some cards in his hand where he can say we need to do this by then by then by then because I know the Glazers wanted more bids were underwhelmed at the number of bids I think everyone was surprised wasn't they that there wasn't more yeah Mm. depends whether you look at the actual value of the club or the emotional value of the club what will it be worth in the future? I think Jim Ratcliffe sees growth. There's been continual growth. Yeah. I think everybody looked at what happened with Chelsea and thought there was so much interest in Chelsea, but Chelsea was a fire sale, a government-induced fire sale, and had to be done at a certain price. 
and it was cheap. So there was huge interest in Chelsea. Cheap, cheap compared to what, say, United's going for or what football clubs of that kind of stature tend to go for. Um, I think it, if you say they're looking for six, seven billion here, Chelsea went for what, three, four billion? to half the price. Um, not as big a brand as United. I hate that word, by the way, brand. And me too. <laughs> but in business terms, that's what it do, is. They need to do Stamford Bridge as well. It's not just to stand there, it's yeah, the full whack, isn't yeah. it? To, there was plenty do of interest in, yeah, doing, in doing the 25% from American um, investment banks and whatever. But that's where they can develop the ground, do naming rights, do all the spin-offs from that, and agree up front a certain percentage is going to come their way. Um, and does, I hope Jim isn't just doing that, you know? How does... In, so since the Chelsea bids, interest rates have shot up. Is yep. that a good or bad thing? Depends how you're funding what, you get, what you're buying. If you're funding it all with debt, yes, it makes it more difficult. And I think a lot of the Chelsea stuff, um, Todd Bowley, who bought Chelsea... Um, his American businesses would use a lot of debt, I guess. Um, and therefore, that makes it more difficult for Chelsea. But then again, they bought 200 players over <laughs> the last two seasons. You've actually bought four since we started talking six <laughs> yeah. minutes ago. All, right. all were on 12-year contracts, yeah. Let's talk football finally. Prediction yeah. for tonight against Copenhagen. Uh, I think it's going to be tight. I, would, I think 2-1 to us. Prediction? 3-1. To who? Oh, to United. <laughs> to nil. To United. <laughs> like this optimism. I was like that before Galatasaray at home as well, boys. But don't ask me about Sunday. Yes, yeah, yeah, we're not going to talk about the derby. No. You might feel like you're missing out because it seems like everyone is either starting a side hustle or becoming their own boss. And you know what they're hearing a lot? Cha-ching! It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run and grow your own business. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling football memorabilia or fine art prints, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can successfully grow your business. Covering all your sales channels from a shopfront ready POS system to its all-in-one e-commerce platform, Shopify even gets you selling across social media marketplaces like Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. It's full of industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth. Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without learning new skills in design or coding. And thanks to 24-7 help with an extensive business course library, Shopify is ready to support your success every step of the way. What's lovely about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify will be there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. It's time to get serious about selling and get Shopify today. This is a possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk forward slash united, all in lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk forward slash united to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.co.uk forward slash united. Stood on some at Busby Way. What's your name? Where are you from? Jeff White from Knotsford. And you Wait, remember Sir Bobby as a player? I do. I remember watching him first time after united Munich when he came back from it. 
them his uh, injury. You were there? Yes, when he came back, his first match. Yeah. Wow. And I remember the first FA Cup final was 1963. I was at the World Cup final in 1966. I was there at West Ham in 1967 when we won the league for the first time. Again, after Munich. And I was at the Wembley for the 1968. Wow. How many people can say that? Not many. Not many. Not many. What was he like as a player? I'm too young to have seen him. As a player... How can I describe him? He probably, to me, was probably one of my favourite players after George Best. But Bobby Charlton was so graceful. I always remember him. He could shoot with both feet. He was a gentleman off the pitch and on the pitch. So you're saying you're from Knutsford? Yeah. He lived in Knutsford, didn't he? He did. I used to bump into him when he was going to the band and just acknowledge him and say, hello, sir, Bobby, how are you keeping? And unfortunately, I've not seen him since he's been poorly. It's lovely to see. Just speaking to different people about Bobby Charlton, you actually met him. Yeah, I met him on a train in Japan at the World Cup. I was with my brother, walking through a carriage that was pretty sparsely populated. He invited us to sit down when we started chatting. We sat down and uh, sat there for half an hour. Uh, we didn't overstay our welcome. He, uh, he was chatting to us as much as we were chatting to him about the World Cup, football, one thing and another. Uh, and anyway, as we sat there, a, a Japanese girl working for the train company comes along selling ice creams. Uh, my brother says to me, having an ice cream? I said, you don't have to ask me twice, I'll have an ice cream. So Bobby, will you have one? And so Bobby said, no, I'm okay. Lady Norma, she said, no, thanks. He turned back to Sir Bobby and said, go on, have an ice cream. I'd love to tell me mates I bought Bobby Charlton an ice cream. And he said, go on, I'll have one then. And he bought him one and he was an absolute gentleman. And after half an hour of chatting, by the way, we felt as though we better make our leave rather than overstaying our welcome. And he wasn't waiting for us to go. He was an absolute gentleman. Thank you. Pleasure. Stratford is singing We Love United. We do. Wow, what an ending to this game. So United were winning and then conceded a penalty. Scott McTominay, again, after 94 minutes and you're thinking here we go again United have not played well awful in the first half and it's a very well drilled FC Copenhagen team much better in the second half largely thanks uh, to Christian Eriksen and his creativity Harry Maguire got the goal a header down from a Bruno um, Fernando Cross was it a Bruno Cross for Harry's goal no it wasn't it was Eriksen Eriksen yeah. yeah Bruno put a ball through to Garnacho. Um, which he failed to, to fully control. The FC Copenhagen fans are singing Sing When You're Winning in USA. The United Stand fans in A Stand have been singing One Bobby Charlton. And there's just a tangible sense of relief because United needed a win, got the win. The idea of uh, staying in the Champions League, well, it stays a real one, but I'm hugely concerned. I'm hugely concerned by what I watch. Some of the performances from some of them players, nowhere near good enough. Not for a club of this stature. Not for their supposed stature. And that worries me a lot. But 
second half was more encouraging, but with respect, and I do respect FC Copenhagen, they're not Real Madrid. There's a small matter of the Manchester derby at the weekend. Am I confident about that? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. So, it was a win in the Champions League. I'm trying to think when Manchester United last won in the Champions League. Because we lost the last three, didn't we? And there were a couple of draws before that. The last win was back when... I'll tell you when the last win in the Champions League was. It was Villarreal away under Michael Carrick in November 2021. That's almost two years. Now, I know we weren't in it for one of the years. <laughs> Just looking at the, ma the match stats now. 51% of possession, 15 shots each, five shots on target. So the stats look far more respectable because of a, a levelling up in the second half. All in the second half. All in the second half. All the shots on target were in the second half. I think Rashford may have had a weak one, but no, no, no. Either players come back and change the dynamic or something just clicks because this is pretty concerning. That said, United are recording wins. I'm just going to speak now to. Yeah, going to speak to Mickey Thomas. Mickey, uh, I was concerned what I saw, especially in the first half. Better in the second half. You've played top level football. What did you make of it? Well, the second half, as you said, there was much better. We needed to improve. We were a little bit slow in the first half. We, we picked up the pace. Uh, obviously, the change with Ericsson, he provided the ball for Maguire, was very important. But we needed a bit more cleverness in the final third. I thought they defended well. They weren't a bad outfit, to be honest, but in looking at the bigger picture, that save by Anana, for me, is crucial because we needed something out of this game. We needed maximum points. We've got that. You know, you look about performances, it's about the win tonight. The result was more important than the performance. This was a big moment for United in this Champions League. Uh, league. And for Anana. For Anana as well. He's had a rough ride, hasn't he? Uh, without doubt, and he's had a lot of uh, criticism oh, level his way about making mistakes now, but that save now will give him the confidence that he needed. And the connection with the fans now will be a lot more healthier. He was buzzing at the end. It was like watching you for Wrexham against well, Arsenal. Unbelievable. His excitement you could see with his celebration. You know, I, I, I said in commentary with a penalty, it got too long for the for penalty to take a lot more pressure. Before he took it, it was a, such a long time that probably made him a little bit more nervous. But give credit to Anana. That has given Manchester a massive result in this competition. Could you have taken that penalty in the 97th minute? Uh, no. No. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you have to. If you, obviously, a penalty, you have to. But the only thing you can do in that situation is just blast it. But Anana read it, read it well. And you can see where the celebrations after. And that's for Sir Bobby. Hopefully, that will be one for him. Any other possess from any performances? Well, I think Ganacci, when he comes on, he's very aggressive. And I like that type of play because you have to stretch the opposition. In the first half, we couldn't do that. We didn't do that. We didn't open them up. Someone like him who's fearless and he's got that energetic thing about him. I like that type of player. You know, he takes defenders on which defenders don't like and he causes problems. And for that, for me, would be the, the big plus for me. And I think maybe on Sunday, he might be used. What's happening on Sunday? The big game, the big game, of course. They I'm come. nervous about that. Well, I think every Manchester fan will be, but you have to have that belief. Derbies are different games and hopefully it'll be United's favour. What was your best derby? Well, the one I scored in the 100th derby, the one goal, uh, I think it took a wicked deflection, but anyone says to me, if it's on target, it's your goal. Well, so was that here or there? Uh, Old Trap in the 100th derby, yeah, so was I scored it? the winning goal in that. So that one uh, is for me. How's your health at the moment? 
I'm doing well. I've got another scan next month, and hopefully, if I can get through that one, then it'll be uh, not not every three months. It'll be yearly then. It's lovely to see you, Mickey Thomas. Well, I love you too, mate. Top man, you're a legend. Here with Alex Williams, um, Manchester City legend. He's just, uh, I dare say, you would have mentioned your book if I hadn't mentioned it, but it's a very good read. Thanks very much. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, it takes us back to uh, a, a heyday of the eighties for. Uh, Heyday, not for United or City, really, because neither were hitting the heights at the time. You played in one derby. Um, what memories do you have of that? Uh, I remember the game quite well. It was early on one season, uh, and obviously we were playing the first of the two games at home at Main Road. And we, we actually ended up getting beat 3-0, but to be fair, United in those days, the early 80s, were a strong, strong team. I was very, very big pals with uh, Gary Bailey. Manchester United goalkeeper. Uh, I think it was a season before that game we'd actually won the under-21 European Championships. So um, I was obviously understudy to Gary Bailey who played most of the games, but it was great to be part of the under-21 squad to win it. And up to the summer just gone, I could still say to people I was in the last England under-21 squad to win the European Championships, but they actually won it last summer. So can't say that anymore, <laughs> but great you know, for the lads who went on to win it. Well, you, you've changed the subject basically from losing 3-0 there, but if you want to keep the subject as Gary... No, no, no. Keep the subject um, as Gary Bailey then. No, no, coming, coming back to the game, um, I remember I think it was the first goal was a through ball and I, I thought I couldn't nip in front of it and get there before Mark Hughes, but I brought him down on the edge of the box and Robbo scored the penalty. And I think it was either the second goal, Arthur Alberson, I think he only ever scored one goal and it was an absolute screamer into the top left-hand corner. And I have actually been given a picture of me diving, trying to get to it. And in the distance, walking back, was Peter Barnes on the wing, but playing in the Manchester United uh, talks. He obviously had moved to United, and then I think Francis Stapleton got a scramble in the third goal. Um, so they were a great team, beat us 3-0. Um, and if any United fans try and have a go, I say, yeah, yeah, I remember that. It was the year you won the first 10 games, but I think you didn't quite win the title, is that correct? <laughs> Peter Barnes was a big part of those first ten games, of course. Do you still see him regularly at uh, the Etihad? I do, yeah. There's a great group of former players who, um, thankfully, the club employers on a match day took around the various suites. So there's me, Peter Barnes, Joe Corrigan, Tommy Booth, um, uh, Paul Lake, Richard Edgeley and Brightwell. You know, there's a great bunch of us. Apologies if I missed anyone at the top of my head. And it's just brilliant to go out, say hello to people and... You know, the club still uh, appreciate, you know, the, the effort that the, the goodwill we bring on a match day. There's a good story I remember in your uh, in your book. It was um, based maybe half a mile from where we sat at the moment, which uh, featured you and Gary Bailey. And was it Alex Stepney? It was, yeah. Uh, when uh, Gary Bailey and myself were playing in the England under 21 squad this season, we won it. Because in those days, you didn't play in a tournament. It was uh, a home and away fixtures. And it went on during the whole season, whereas now they tend to be a two, three-week tournament. So during that season, Alex Stepney offered to do some goalkeeper training for us um, without our clubs knowing, which was a bit naughty, really. So two mornings a week, we used to meet at the top of Lancashire in Stockport. There's a pub called Navigation. Alex Stepney ran the pub. So we, we met in there at 10 o'clock, two mornings, and we'd walk down the bottom of the hill to a rugby pitch. And Alex would give us some goalkeeper training. So... 
can you imagine today walking along to your local <laughs> park and see uh, Edison and Amira uh, goals doing some goalkeeper training? So I heard of, but it was great. There's so many names with United and City in common, of course. Alex Stempney was a, did his time as a goalkeeper coach. Yeah. I may know, didn't he? Um, somebody I know that we couldn't go much further without mentioning is um, Bobby Charlton because yeah. we lost him this week. And obviously that comes only a couple of weeks after City losing Franny Lee. So yeah. we'll, I dare say we'll remember both this weekend. Yeah, I mean, two icons of the game. Um, Francis Lee was brilliant for Manchester City, obviously played a lot of games for England. Uh, No-nonsense striker, in fact. Uh, I don't think he felt as though he was in a match unless he had an altercation with somebody, usually the toughest player in the opposing team. Um, Bobby Charlton was just a one-off. And then the thing with Bobby was he was such a gentleman every time I met him. Um, And when I retired from football, I used to support his... Uh, ironically, his soccer skills, Bobby Charles' soccer skills, in the early days, a lad called Ray Whelan's around them, and then it was John Shields, who's now head of their foundation. And it was great for them to approach me as a former City player to go and support the work of the great young kids in Manchester via Bobby Charles' soccer school. And, you know, I was proud to do that to the end of the day, you saw about the kids. Did you go to the 2008 game that commemorated Munich? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't. I think one of the biggest games, uh, other than um, you know playing some reserve and youth cup games at Man United, was I was fortunate enough for the Surmat Busby testimonial um, before the main game. There was an ex-City team v an ex-Man United game. And I actually played in that. I think it was a seven-a-side game, so box to box. It's on YouTube, everybody. Uh, yeah, I believe it's on YouTube. And I believe, and I hope I'm right in saying this, it was one of, if not the last goal, Georgie Best scored at Old Trafford. We drew the game 2-2, I believe. And uh, Georgie Best scored one of the goals. And, uh, you know, even though I'm a City fan, I do remember watching United in the old days because you'd watch both teams. And George Best was just an icon. And um, to be playing in a match against one of the greatest ever footballers for me was, was fantastic. I mentioned the 2008 game. I think it was Vassell and Benjani yeah. sort of spoiled the, uh, not that it was a party, it was a celebration of 50 years, obviously. But I mentioned that because City's fans, and I know that day, observed the silence absolutely perfectly. And that's what we're all hoping both yeah. sides on at the weekend, aren't we? Yeah, um, I'd be very, very surprised because of the... Um, quality of the two players and the esteem they held in if anybody disrespects uh, the minute silence um, and I, I personally like the minute silence because if it's done properly it's touching and um, if ever there was a time when it's needed it is going to be this weekend So to the game itself, um, is there a point at which City uh, start playing the reserves against uh, against United or will the derby over <laughs> <laughs> always be too important. It's always going to be too important. Uh, I think United will raise their game. Having said that, you know, you can never tell in a derby match because there's been a few shocks over the years. Um, I think it's going to be a great game. United won't need any motivation um, because of what's happened recently to Sir Bobby. Um, our players probably wouldn't have known um, Francis Lee as well as possibly United players knew Bobby Charlton, but. It's going to be a great occasion, and uh, let's just hope it's a great game. And uh, you know, we'll see a few goals. It'll be interesting to see how the game pans out. I'm not trying to make you feel old, but it made me feel old when I met Jack Doyle uh, and yeah. had a few words with him. Right. He's obviously on the staff at City now. Yeah. His uh, granddad, right. who you'd have played right. with, 
Yeah. He hated United, didn't he? He did, yeah. In fact, I presume it's Mike you're talking about. I mean, yeah. Mike hated everybody, I think. <laughs> uh, I remember as a kid, I went, I was used to go down to training uh, at City when I was about 16, and Joe Corrigan was having some specialist training, and I played in goals behind Mike Doyle in a training match, and it was a cold, wet day, and I didn't play very well, and he gave me a lot of stick, Mike Doyle. So <laughs> that's the sort of player he was. He just wanted to win everything. But it was great for me because... It made me a stronger person and I went on to play for the club. So, uh, good learning curve. Was it before your time, it was certainly before mine, that him and Lou Macari refused to go off the pitch? Yeah, I just vaguely remember that. Um, I, I did something with Lou about uh, five years ago now. We were both involved with a, a local community project which was looking at dementia and we both went down to meet a group of people in North Manchester somewhere. So, lovely fellow Lou Macari times knocking around but most of the older lads now see and United they're great lads you can talk to them and you could get access to them when it's a little bit more difficult today. I think on that occasion Clive Thomas sent them off and then he had to get the police to get the players to actually follow his instructions and stay in the dressing room. Yeah I think um, we have a saying in the football world handbags at 20 pieces <laughs> you know lots of arms going around but nobody actually gets touched so uh, yeah. So do you, are there any Guys who would have been there, uh, who would have incurred the wrath of Mike Doyle, who, if he found out somebody was a, a secret red, for example. And I'll give you an example at Old Trafford because I think it's perfectly accepted that David May's yeah. from a blue yeah. family. Yeah. Uh, and they're obviously, you're always going to get that. And yeah. um, I'm, I'm looking at a book of, of somebody we both know, Tony Whelan, yeah, who spans, well, spans yeah. both sides. Were there, were there any Reds that sort of were trying to keep it quiet, maybe? Um, there probably would have been, but I, I wasn't aware of anybody at the time. In those days, other than Mike Doyle, the lads were a little bit more relaxed. But, you know, we had a lot of Scottish players come in at the time. I think, obviously, we were from up north, so Rangers, Celtic. So I'm not sure we had that many who were Reds, to be honest. I'm sure there is one somewhere, but I'm not aware of it. Andy Hinscliffe, possibly? Um, I, I don't know what Andy is, actually, to be I just presumed it. <laughs> Because he has quite a strong allegiance with the Sheffield club, so I don't know what the history is of Andy, but I wasn't aware of that. You mentioned um, Scott's coming down. Billy yeah. McNeil obviously managed to beat Alex Ferguson down here by yeah. a couple of years. But knowing the experience that you went through with him, did you think that Ferguson would have the kind of effect that he had when he came down, having managed Aberdeen and not even one of the big clubs? No, I think it was a little bit of a surprise when Sir Alex came down. Um, Billy did great for us because we were struggling um, in the old set division and he got us back up after two years. Um, but I think with Sir Alex, he was taking on a much bigger task because United at the time were a massive club and still are, uh, but they were winning things every year so. Uh, it was a little bit of a surprise, but to be fair, he's done brilliantly well. Um, I think with Sir Alex and the likes of a Brian Clough, they would potentially find it harder to manage today because I think the game's changed and a lot of the power now is with the players, whereas in the older days, the manager ruled the roost. Uh, but the, the game has changed, so it'd be interesting to see whether their style of coaching would work today. You make a point about player power and uh, something we've discussed um, on another occasion. Um, was David De Gea. Now, it seems weird to be... Yeah. United fans will be looking at pictures of David De Gea yeah. going out for lunch with other United players now. Yeah. And I don't know what you thought. Whether, were you surprised that he left United in the circumstances he did? 
Uh, I'm surprised at two things. One, yes, he did uh, move on in the circumstances. It was very, very strange. Every goalkeeper has a blip now and again. Uh, I judge goalkeepers on how many times it happens. And it didn't happen that much with De Gea, but I think because of the profile of Man United, it gets highlighted. Um, but the second thing is, to my knowledge, he's not associated with the club at the moment, is no. it? And I cannot believe somebody of his quality hasn't found a club or a club hasn't come in for him. There may be read things that I'm unaware of why he's not gone anywhere. But, um, you know, the keeper they've got now has done okay. But would you honestly say he's a step up from De Gea? And I'm not sure at this moment of time he has. So time will tell. But um, in football, there's also a saying, be very careful what you wish. He's 32, of course, David De Gea. So it's remarkable. But it's only last May you'll have sat down like I did at yeah. Wembley looking forward yeah. to historical yeah. first FA Cup final between yeah. the Manchester clubs. He played a part in that, obviously, with City going up 1-0 yeah. up straight away. Yeah. What are your memories of that game? Uh, it was unbelievable because, uh, you know, it's, it was one of those games where he kicked off and banged straight away. It was an unbelievable goal. Uh, it was Ilke who scored, scored the goal. And um, I always felt they were struggling then, United. But, you know, obviously, it ended up being quite a tight game. But he, I thought they to be fair um, you know but we were always favourites I think to go on and win it but you know you look at United's season last season they actually did quite well if you you know you look at what they've achieved and where they were in the league but the problem they had was we won the treble and that's the problem people would judge them against but we did but what we did I hope it's not a one-off where it was tremendous to, to win the treble one treble each, of course. We couldn't leave it there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I suspect there'll be a few United fans shouting at this <laughs> on the TV or screens or whatever it's going to be on. Uh, but yeah, they did it first, but at least we've done it. And, uh, you know, I think it's a testimony to Manchester. We've got two fantastic football teams and we should all be very proud of that. We do tend to sort of look at each other rather than stepping back and looking at the bigger picture. It's a good note to leave it on because uh, you were... Given the honour of awarding the uh, Premier League trophy, yeah. of course, that was a big day for you. Yeah. And at the uh, at the European Cup final, should yeah. we call it? Yeah. Uh, you were sat next to Brian Kidd, of course, who yeah. somebody who uh, is held in great esteem. Yeah. Still at Old Trafford, I saw him playing blue. I never saw him playing red. Yeah. I, but I can swear that I saw him jumping up and down yeah. in a tracksuit uh, yeah. <laughs> in about 1990. Yeah, I remember that game, that late goal, yeah, against yeah. Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. But you were sat next to him, and he's always had, he's always had a, a special regard for you since he gave you an award. Is that right? Yeah, I was just going to finish on that. Um, the first year I joined the club full time, I was 16, and we do pre-season training for two weeks. And at the end of the two weeks, all the players call the young uh, scholars in, as they're called now, apprentices right nowadays, and they nominate one as uh, the one they feel is going to be the blue ribbon boy or the best player out of the group. And uh, Brad Kidd shouted me over. Alex, we think you're the next up-and-coming star. And from that day, I was given the title of Golden Boy. So whenever I see Brian Kidd, he doesn't call me Alex Williams. He just calls me Golden Boy. And he is an absolute legend. He is the nicest guy you could ever meet in football. And people forget what he's done for the game. European Cup winner, won titles, won titles as assistant manager. He's the, such a down-to-earth person. I think he still lives in the Middleton area. Um, but anyone who knows him, Will he be going there, do you think, on Sunday? I'm sure he'll be there somewhere, obviously, to commemorate yeah. um, you know, the great man, Sir Bobby Charlton. But 
you know, it's going to be a great occasion for all Mancunians. Um, you know, and uh, let's just hope it's a great game and there's no trouble. Okay, thanks for your time, Alex. Good yeah, luck with, look, look with your book. Yeah, thanks very much. It's called You Saw Me Standing Alone. Just log on uh, the website and it'll come up. And if anyone wants to buy it, um, it's got details how to buy it. And it's not just showing the history of my playing career. It's the transition of Man City, transition of Manchester, which is just as important, and um, some of the experiences I endured as the first modern-day black goalkeeper. It is an exciting and, more importantly, different football club. So this is a bit odd. I've just been listening to the Alex Williams part of this podcast and John Shields' name came up as I drove through Trafford Park. I thought, oh no, Johnny runs the foundation. Didn't know he had an association with Sir Bobby Charlton. Parked my car at Old Trafford, walking around the side of the ground, bump into John Shields. Nice to see you. Morning, Andy. Nice to see you too, mate. John does a great job at, at the, the foundation. And recent initiatives include United fans donating coats. Um, before the Brentford game, I think 1,800 coats came in um, to be used by people who, who need them. And I could talk for 10 minutes about the great work the foundation do, and I've, I've, I've tried and do stuff for them um, myself. But I didn't know your link with, with Bobby Charland. Yeah. Um, you worked at the soccer schools. So, so I've known... Sir Bobby, I'm 64 now. I've known Sir Bobby since I was 19. I've worked for Sir Bobby since I was 19. Wow, never knew that. Um, yeah. Sir Bobby, as, you know, it was his second career, really. He'd finished playing football. Um, he tried his hand at, at management. He was too nice for management. He was too, too nice a man for management. And then his, his general love of football and his love of children is amaz- amazing with children. Amazing. Uh, led him to soccer schools and it was a time when you know there wasn't centre of excellence there wasn't academies uh, you know best players were chosen through the county teams Uh, soccer schools started uh, Sir Bobby was in 78 in Argentina and there was a little lad called Maradona I don't know if you remember he was juggling and Sir Bob came back obviously the the Bastonian of of English football and said "Why, why can't we why can't we produce players like that little lad, Maradona? And he said, well, we can. And he started what was Bobby Charlton Soccer Schools. And that, you know, that's, that's a 50-year ride. It's, um, it's uh, you know, amazing. So, so Bobby how himself. Did you, how did you... Uh, well, I, I was right place, right time. Um, I did my coaching badges who, with a fellow who then became Ray Whelan and then became the director of the Bobby Charlton Soccer Schools. And I, you know... I was, I'm not a person from a, a rich background, so I needed to earn money. So I worked my way through. Um, I worked my way through college, working for Sir Bobby's soccer schools. Went on to become a teacher. Uh, again, always working holidays, and then the opportunity came to go full time with Bobby Chant Soccer Schools. I took it. Uh, very similar to Sir Bobby. I love my football. I love my kids, and I wanted to move from working with a thousand kids. Um, all boys school thousand I wanted to get to millions and through Sir Bobby and Manchester United soccer schools and Manchester United foundation I think you know I'm very honoured and privileged and I think I think we have affected hundreds of thousands if not millions of kids Sir Bobby Sir Bobby's influence if you you, you, you walk around and say Bobby Charlton soccer schools 
the amount of people who've been on a Bobby Charles soccer school is Including immense. Me. Is immense. I'm sure a lot of your listeners. Yeah. Oh, I was on that. I did that. Fallowfield, it was. And it, well, it, all over the country. Yeah. I, I had one story with Sir Bobby, and it sums him up. And we wouldn't be able to do it now with health and safety. But we were doing a, a, a British Sugar roadshow, and uh, these were three three-hour roadshows around the country. We we're at Bullocksteads in Newcastle, and there were about eight of us, and 500 kids turned up who'd booked on. Uh, and then there were about 40 kids who weren't booked on. And Sir Bob said, what are they doing? I said, well, they're not booked on, Sir Bob. He went, get them involved, get them playing, get them down. Have a... And it was just, he was just such a gentleman. This is the end of this podcast. And it started with people like Brian Kidd and Alex Stepney, John Aston, Paddy Creran talking about Sir Bobby. You knew him for a long, long time. How would you describe him? someone who, who'd never met him never heard of him um, I would say he's a very intelligent articulate visionary man unbelievable footballer but that's only half the story um, very humble great great ambassador for whatever he wanted to be um, he shouldered the responsibility for a shy man unbelievably well and um, I don't think we'll ever see the same again.